Hello, pumpkin heads. The following episode had some audio issues, so I tried my best to clean it up. Long story short, I had to combine a backup Zoom audio with some of my local audio, but hopefully I did a good enough job you won't notice too much. Anyway, thank you for listening and supporting, and without further ado, our episode on Monuments to Analogy. You know, it's like how kids talk about baseball players. That's how we talk about albums. We're just trying to postpone mortality. They need that to fill some kind of void that they have. The search for the Yeti. He's a duck. Well, don't interfucking rough. We still love you, and like everything, it goes and goes. It's the Smashing Pumpcast. I'm Frank Garcia-Hale. And today we're going to be talking about monuments to an elegy. Pat, once again, has to step away for this episode, but joining me as co-host for this episode, you may be familiar with him from a previous episode we did on the Pumpcast, a listener spotlight, if you will. Please welcome back to the Pumpcast, Stephen Patrick Zapata Kelly. Hey, how's it going? It's a pleasure to have you back. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so thanks for joining me to talk about Monuments to an Elegy. Stephen, for those listeners who haven't heard your episode where we did the spotlight on you, give us your brief history with the Pumpkins and WPC. Well, so uh, I've been a band since I was 14 years old. That was in 1998, and Ava Door was on the radio, and I had friends who were Pumpkin fans. I uh, started listening to them a little bit, and I asked my friend if I could borrow one of their albums, the one that had tonight tonight on there but i didn't know that the name of the song was tonight tonight at that point in time i was like the one with all the violin <laughs> they're like oh tonight tonight you know so they let me borrow melancholy and the infinite sadness or at least one half of melancholy and the infinite sadness because the other disc was missing so the one from dust to dawn it uh it had tonight tonight on it and so i had only listened to that half of melancholy and the infinite sadness for like a year and so I finally got to listen to the other half. So, but anyway, been a fan ever since. Uh, here is here is no why is what made me a true fan, or whatever, because of the opening opening lyric, uh, the useless drag of another day, and you know, hearing that as a fourteen year old, that was all I needed to get on board. So I, I've been here ever since. Nice. And what is your history with monuments? Well, so uh, it's a it's. Barely limited, but like Monuments was released back in 2014, right? 2014? Uh, yes, December 5th, 2014. And well, that was in Europe and then on December 9th, 2014 in the US. Right. That was a, a time of great change for the band in general. You know, Mike and Nicole weren't in it anymore. So Jeff was the only member. It was a couple years removed from Jimmy. It is what their final part of uh, the tear garden by kaleidoscope and it was supposed to be it was supposed to uh be part of a two album thing you know the next one was supposed to be day for a night yep uh so i've listened to it quite a few times actually and uh it's it's a great album it kind of sort of has this vibe uh this is probably going to be the second time i've mentioned this on the podcast on the pubcast uh, but I'm going to liken it to uh, another band that I love so much, the Goo Goo Dolls. Okay. Uh, it's, it's got the same strength as Superstar Car Wash and Dizzy Up the Girl by the Goo Goo Dolls. Very catchy riffs, you know, memorable choruses and everything else, you know. So it's definitely really spectacular, in my opinion. Yeah, I think 
for me, I was I was familiar with the singles, and at that time in my life, I was in New York, and I was I, again. This was kind of a blind spot for me for Pumpkins, except for when I was. Again, I've told this story a million times. Going through chemo, this was one of the first albums I put on in the post-Reformation to be like, let me give this uh, uh, other stuff a chance that I unfairly wrote off. So, like, I can't speak to, you know, your chemo or anything, but I, it's kind of poetic because, like, the vibe that I get from the album is a person who... It's written from a viewpoint of a person who is trying to defy the odds. You know, like there's a very militant, you know, me against the world type of vibe in the album. So, you know, she's like yeah. to hear that you went through can uh, chemo. Yeah. You know. That that's that's kind of that's kind of poetic, honestly. It connected with me for sure, and I felt like, oh, I didn't give this album a chance when it came out, as you know, usually with the post Reformation stuff, the same story you hear on the Pumpcast time and time again. And it really is like a cool, like meat and potatoes kind of, cause there's no like uh, flowery solos or any kind of epic jams or anything like that. It's it's a very short album. Yeah, like it's, it surprised me when it ended. It's like, that's, that's it. Yeah. Longest song is a little over four minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like, I'm sitting there jamming the monuments or whatever. And like, I'm like, why isn't this a longer song? <laughs> yeah. Like, in the old days, this probably would have been like, you know, a 10 minute soliloquy or whatever. You know, yeah. exactly. So, yeah. And gone through three acts or something. Yeah. I, I feel like it's so funny that you compared it to uh, Goo Goo Dolls because in when I've been listening to this album, I've been thinking of there was a time I was obsessed with collecting post Pet Sounds Beach Boys albums uh -huh, uh -huh. and kind of discovering those because it wasn't until I heard the song uh, Till I Die. Till I That I was like, wait, this is Beach Boys? Like, what is this? And then, like, kind of discovering the uh, the albums like Surf's Up or Holland. And this is what that's, that kind of reminds me of. Because it, it's kind of a cool... I don't want to say hidden gem because it is... Uh, people in the fan community do like this album. But I do think it gets overlooked because it is so simple. It is so short. And for me, listening to it, I'm like... For those complaining about the Seer and Autumn stuff right now, it's like, just go back to Monuments and you're going to get what you were itching for. So, the funny thing is, if you notice it, every Pokin album has a song on there that's like a preview of oh, the yeah. future. Like, you saw, you, like, you see it coming. Yeah, and yeah. it's just like, so, for Gish, for Gish, Snail was a preview of uh, Siamese String. For yeah. Siamese String, Geek USA was a preview of Melancholy and Infinite Melancholy and Infinite Sadness, songs like Beautiful and Lily My One and Only. It's like a preview for a door. So there is plenty of like signs there yeah. that, you know, it's just like it's the natural progression. It's like it's like the it's like the post credits on a Marvel movie. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great way to describe it. Well, yeah, you talked about how this was supposed to be because this is on March 25th, 2014, the band announced that they signed a record deal with record label BMG. The band's next two albums will be part of that deal, Monuments to an Elegy and Day for Night. And of course, this would 
be the final project of Tear Garden by Kaleidoscope. And then on April 29th, uh, Billy stated that the band had chosen the top songs for the album and they would be spending the following three days on drum tracking, vocal arrangements, lyrics, and tweaking of the songs. And he described the album album's planned sound as being guitars 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 and more guitars and more so on this epic side of things than say glossy metallic and uh, he wasn't wrong so at this time you would also mention about the fact that nicole and mike weren't part of the band anymore so it was just him and jeff kind of jamming in the studio and when they were working on uh, one and all billy was like oh this would be something great that tommy lee would play on and Schroeder was just like, well, let's just reach out to him. Let's get him. And so that's how that started. And Tommy Lee became the drummer for this album. Of course, he didn't tour with them. Uh, Brad Wilk from Rage Against the Machine would uh, go on to do the drums for that tour. But yeah, it, it's it's kind of cool that because if you listen, to, we'll get to it when we cover one and all. But like definitely a Tommy Lee, Motley Crue type of vibe to it, especially for Tommy Lee's type of drumming. That's the kind of thing, it's just like, the Smashing Pumpkins' entire catalog, you have to have a drummer that yeah. can, you know, that that can, you know, live up to that. And of course, you know, I mean, it's like, if, if you're going to follow Jimmy and and Mike, you couldn't do worse than Tommy. Exactly. <laughs> Let's take this motherfucker upside down, Chris. On July 21st, Billy indicated that recording on Monuments to an Elegy had finished, mixing for the album commenced on August 18th, and the album's final release date was announced as December 9th. And Billy had this to say about the album, said, it's a very Smashing Pumpkins-like album. I think people are hearing an emotional quality that reminds them of something in the past. By extension, they assume I'm trying to get back there, but the truth is opposite. I stopped trying to avoid it. I went off to have this Herman Hess style spiritual journey through different sounds and subcultures and then I came home and allowed myself to make the music I might naturally make. By the way, as always, special thanks to spfc.org and spcodex.wiki for all this information, all our research. And yeah, during that time they they toured with Rage Against the Machines Brad Wilk and the Killers Mark Stormer filling in on bass, uh, which kind of makes sense for the pumpkins to have somebody from the killers who already kind of like has a new order flair to them yeah uh when we get to it i mean anise is yeah. like that's a perfect song for for mark we have we talk about the crew on this album we have billy of course and jeff additional musicians we have tommy lee on drums and sherry shaw on backing vocals on anise production we have david Bertrill mixing nicola dochik Dokik, I don't know if I'm saying that right. I'm probably not. Dokik uh, as the engineer. Smiley Sean as engineer. Howie Weinberg as mastering. Sam Weiwell, probably getting that wrong too, as engineer. And Howard Willing on production. And we're very familiar with Howard since he still works very closely with Billy on the current stuff. So, uh, Stephen, what do you say we get into these tracks? Let's rock and roll. Let's do it. All right. First up, we have Tiberius. What is 
Tiberius. Billy says, as a holdover from last night, Tiberius had been the recipient of a hybrid riff that when I woke this morning didn't feel exactly right. And as those things go, subtle changes are often the difference in a riff sounding dumb or smart. Harkening back to an early form of the same idea, I took out the fluff and stuck with the repetition, and lo and behold, it lined up to the previous spot without any time changes. A miracle. Add Moog. He also adds, sounds like it's title, Imagine Marching Hordes. And he also adds, with new and improved Epic Wizard part. And then he also stated, there's going to be a lot of quotes for this album, by the way. Uh, he talked a lot about this in the press. Or Also, this was around the time he was blogging and doing Twitter and all that stuff. So he was documenting the process of this quite a bit. He says, went at one song today and one song only, and that song was Tiberius, which I'd long ago identified as a tough cookie to crack because the dang thing is in 9-8, at least that's what I've been told, and ain't so easy on the rhythmic eyes. But it is awesome, I must say, as an epic piece and worth the trouble. So trouble is what I got in trying to untangle what was a middle eight. So, Stephen, what are your thoughts on Tiberius? Well, so it's funny to hear that he, they uh, struggled with the, you know, the riff or whatever, uh, which I assume is during the, the verses, because where he's singing, if you break, believe me, if you take, deceive me, to the sound of one clapping hand. If one, it's a very froggy riff. Like, you know, the, the dramatic change from the beginning of the song, you know, yeah. can't just the, the listener off guard when you first when you first hear it and two it is it it's wild to hear that the man that wrote an ode to no one <laughs> you know this is like this rip was tricky you know it's just like yeah. when it, you know like to this day i can't you know i can't say that i've heard anybody else make a riff like to an ode to no one you know yeah. uh, which sounds like a car in motion but uh my opinion on the song is that uh it's it's definitely a strong opening track. It's got that vintage punk and fuzz. Yeah. Uh, it has those wash out, washed out vocals uh, that's reminiscent of uh, of Siamese Dream. And the riff that we're talking about does remind me of uh, Melancholy Machina era or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's just like, like it's it's their signature. You know, I, I would be surprised if there was a Pumpkins album that didn't have that kind of thing or whatever you know even seer has that you know yeah. with which you know my favorite lyric in the song is uh is your heart so lonely that your honor is only as good as can be bound on command you know it's just like is your honor for sale you know that kind right. of thing you know like i had to listen to it over and over to just like soak it in when i was listening to it and of course i love the part in the chorus where he says it goes and goes, you know, it goes and goes, you know, it's just like, it's, it's very pretty, you know, it sounds like a, a crashing wave. I love it. I, it's a, it's a great song. And I, I've heard it like what, three times live. Uh -huh. It's always a joy to, to listen to live. Yeah. This one, I, I think it's a really good opener. It, it has such that, that ominous piano start, which is really cool. And then also it kind of has this like Weezer cars kind of sway to it because of the keyboard. Yes. Funny that you say that because like I'm listening to some of the songs is like these are some songs that Rivers Cuomo could have, you know, Cuomo could have uh, written. It's that, it's that, you know, like, granted, I'm not, I, 
I, I don't know a whole bunch of Weezer, mm-hmm. but the songs that I do know, I love. That was the vibe I got from some of these songs. And yeah, it's definitely in Tiberius. Yeah, it just, it's just such a cool, like, cars kind of sway. That keyboard, I think, is a really cool addition to it. And I like that it, we kind of hear some of that in previous or future pumpkins but there's some kind of style that it's used in this album one of the things i really admire about the pumpkins is that they'll kind of toy with the sound but then they won't exactly return back to it there'll be variations on it but it's never the same and i really love that i will say that i know one of the biggest criticisms of this album is the mix and uh a lot of the post-reformation stuff gets slammed because the vocal mix is a little too high or and some of the other instruments get tampered down and i kind of feel that with a lot of these songs where i wish it the mix was a little bit more dynamic to hear the instruments it's so it's not like doesn't suffer from the loudness wars of the brick you know a sound file that we see uh, whenever you put it into a music program but that being said, it's still, it's a great song. Uh, I think it's cool. It's good to kick off track. And like I said before, if people are kind of missing this with the pumpkins now, just kind of go back and revisit this because you're going to get some good riffage and you're going to get some good, simple, straight ahead rock songs. And then some of the stuff that the criticism I hear about Seer and Autumn is about how it's all the combinations of the live instruments and the keyboards is a little off, I guess. I don't agree with that, but this is the album where it kind of marries that a little bit more organically. You know, you could see the steps being taken for that. Well, so uh, the songs on Autumn, I know that's like a different show altogether. Uh, yeah. But like, you know, I'm, I'm there every week to listen, you know, to the music you mm-hmm. know whatnot. But my favorite track off of Autumn is the self-titled track. It is deliciously evil. It sounds like evil royalty gathering. In fact, when they walked out to it uh, on the Spirits on Fire tour, they were walking out to it, and I have a video of me, like, screaming (laughs) 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 on my Instagram when it's happening, but, like, it's very pitiful screaming because uh, I had laryngitis, you know, when I was at the show, so... uh, Or I was recovering from it. And, uh, you know, it's just like, it's the perfect track. It's the perfect intro track. But like, again, again, as I say, that's a different, that's a different episode altogether. Yeah. Seems like. <laughs> no, I love it too. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, uh, Tiberius, you know, is definitely up there with, with opening tracks. The Pumpkins have always been good with opening tracks. I agree. It's the thesis statement that tells you what you're in for and what you can expect. I think so. And also I love the one last thing i want to mention about the song is that it's got that cool riff detour and then that orchestral build and then that rolling rip back into the rolling riff Your heart's so lonely That 
I love that part because you can't help but do it. We both did the thing where we were like pretending to chug. Right. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, like uh, the funny thing about being at these shows as like, you know, a black person, you know, I'm up there doing the same rip thing, you know, air rip while he's playing it live or whatever. And people are looking at me like, oh, he really knows, you know, the music. And I'm like, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not just a spectator. Cool. So, uh, any final thoughts on Tiberius? The funny thing is that, uh, granted, this for two different reasons. I don't know why he named the song Tiberius, but I have a cat named Tiberius. Yep. And uh, I named him after uh, James T. Kirk. Correct. I I don't know. If that's why Corgan named it, you know, Tiberius or whatever. But like, you know, that those are those are my final thoughts on it. So I I thought it was pretty. I thought it was pretty fun. He's a pretty big Star Trek fan, so I think that there's uh it's not crazy for us to to think that might be part of why he named it that. Right. Mom's filling there again. To see again. Heart pumping arteries surging blood again. Okay, the next song up is Being Beige. The first single from Monuments, released on SoundCloud on October 20th, Billy says, a hot rocker that producer Howard Willing professed love for. Okay, I said from beneath thick grandma wraparounds, we'll try it. And like all those riff songs, they go around and around till the thrill is gone, and then someone suggests, might have been me, shouldn't there be like a chorus? Eventually, I tack one on, and it was good. Let there be light. A music video directed by Brian and Brad Palmer came out on January 16th. It says the video magnifies the surreal dreamlike space of lost love experience through the moment of an embrace as twin bodies merge into one. It explores the transcendence of oneself into a new limitless body of existence. The song also got positive feedback from Rolling Stone who said has a simple title, its acoustic guitar and drum machine intro builds towards an urgent, memorable chorus. And the Chicago Reader said, Corgan seems remarkably placid on this new cut. Huh. It sounds like Monuments won't be a retread of the Pumpkin's Rat in a Cage days. Corgan's putting his rage behind him in favor of a slow piano-accented build towards the heights of songs like Perfect or the more energetic selections from his early aught stint with Zwan. Yeah, so that's that's kind of a, a a weird dig for this song, but you know, people of course they love 
shitting on the pumpkins when they can. You can't be a pumpkins fan and not run into this kind of thing. You can't oh, do it. And even when there's praise, there's qualifiers. Exactly. Yeah, it's like, I like the pumpkins, but no, stop right there. That's all you need. <laughs> yeah, that's all you need to <laughs> say. Yeah. That's, that's all you got. So, no, uh, but with regards to the last criticism, look, so we just talked about it. You know, every Pumpkins album has a song on it that shows you the future of what you can expect. The very opening of Being Beige opens with the keyboard, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, it tastes so much like 17 from a door, you know, oh, yeah. that like I was instantly transported back to 1998. Yeah. You can't say that you didn't see it coming you know <laughs> it's there you know it's just like you it 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 shows you the future but uh i i do agree though that this is a song that could have easily been written in the swan air yeah it would have sat right next to a new poetry or you know uh chrysanthemum or something yeah. you know it's just like it's it's got that that flower it's got that flowery arrangement mm -hmm. and what are your feelings on the song itself like as far as like the music goes it is very catchy. The chorus, the world's on fire, it sticks with you. My favorite lyric from it is, uh, when they say what it's worth, the world tells you first and you know where to hurt. To me, I took that as uh, anything worth fighting for is going to, you know, be hard, but it's always going to be worth it. So that's what I, that's what I took that lyric as. And again, this, this album has that whole vibe of, a person against the world and standing up, you know, and everything else. And that lyric definitely is one of the qualifiers, you know, one of the things that cue into that, to that overall theme. But yeah, no, it's, it's a beautiful song. Uh, I, I love it. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, we know at this time he was looking to end the band again. So uh, if you'll allow me to, to like delve in a little bit further and yeah. whatnot, real quick on this one, on this one part, you hear him taking a vocal risk in the song that you haven't really heard since Swan. Like he'll hit a higher register, yeah. especially in the chorus. So that's that's another thing that, that could have been a, a Swan song. At this point in time in 2014, him and Jeff are all that's left from 2007. All right. But against all odds vibe that the album has, you know, I heard, I heard murmurs that he was considering breaking up the band again or whatever what 2014 was also the year that like it was announced that he was going to be a father mm -hmm. i don't know the man personally at all even though i've met him once in 2003 after his one show uh i don't know the man personally and i don't have children of my own but i assume children changes things yeah i know that when i you know asked my wife to marry me I started reaching out to old people in my life and reforming bridges and everything else. So the man finds out he's going to be a father. He reforms the bridge with Jimmy and incredibly, he reforms a bridge with James. I think there comes a time where everything finally aligns properly. Everything finally is aligned properly for him that he couldn't get aligned properly in 2007. Yeah. If that makes any sense. No, it makes perfect sense. I've got the time to dedicate to this kind of thought process. Yeah. <laughs> but like, this is the only place I can discuss it because I can't go and discuss it with the missus and be like, hey, you know, yeah. so this happened. She's like, that's nice, dear. Yeah. I mean, but it, it, you're completely, I think you're right because it, it, I like this album with separation with time because I, I know what 
happens on the other side of it. <laughs> and it's kind of like when you're watching a movie and the hero's kind of like down and out but still fighting to the very end. It's Captain America strapping, you know, his torn arm with his shield. And then all of a sudden, on your left, yeah, yes. <laughs> here comes some pumpkins, you know? Yeah, exactly. They they show up. It wasn't just that life changed for him, but life changed for them, too. I mean, what? James became, you know, a father. A dad, you know, yeah. uh, Jimmy had already had kids, you mm-hmm. know, and everything else. You know, it's just like, these days, you're looking at a band that definitely has more of a familial, you know, air Absolutely. to it. It's just like... The, the type of people that they were in 1992 is not who they are in 2023. Yeah. Which, there are a lot of old fans that are upset about that, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, you can't go back. Yeah, exactly, so. I feel like this song took a while to grow on me. I remember when I first heard it, I wasn't as impressed because it, it kind of felt like... Um, I mean, this felt like they're kind of like U2 song, you know, kind of like a little bit of a, it has that kind of feel to it. And the the guitars sound great, and I love the backing vocals on this. Uh, At one point, it does become a little repetitive for me, but the background vocals are so cool, and it's kind of the classic Brazy Pumpkins wistful rock that I really enjoy. And uh, yeah, when when I first heard it, I remember thinking, I was like, well, this title is appropriate because, uh, feels kind of bland or whatever at the time i felt that way it kind of just washed over me you know this is the the thing i i did notice uh you know it's just like it's kind of some of these song titles are a return to the song title isn't in the song era yeah. of pumpkins you know uh, so i was i've always been curious as to why he called it being beige it'll be in the the book that's what he always says it'll be in the book Yeah, so I think that, uh, but now I've, I've grown, it's really grown on me, and I really appreciate the layers of it and the piano parts. And again, we're nodding to the drum machine future a bit with this, combined with the live drums. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a cool song. I think um, I like the little harmonized plucks that kind of happen in it, too, uh, that I caught with the headphone listen because that's the way I like to listen to these albums before we cover them, is just get the headphones on and discover new sounds to it. Uh, and it kind of sounded like there was female vocals uh, on one part, which I assume is Sherry Shaw, but I'm not completely sure. It wouldn't be surprising to me uh, if, if it was her. Uh, Corgan has always been good at like doing his own backup vocals with the, the falsetto and everything else. Yeah. Her, but like you know, he probably wanted something different for this song yeah get somebody else to do it yeah it's still not my favorite in the catalog but i have a new appreciation for it i dig it Up next is Araís. Yeah. 
Anais, and it has the exclamation point on it. We got another exclamation song. I have some thoughts about this song. That opening, easily the funkiest opening for any pumpkin song mm-hmm. I have ever heard. I, I don't know if, if you noticed already, but like, it kind of almost sounds like a play on words. Anise. Anise. Mm-hmm. It almost sounds like unease, like unease. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like how melancholy is a pun or adore was really adore. adore. Yeah. <laughs> no one knows that it's a pumpkin song until he starts to sing. And then it's like, oh, it's a pumpkin song. Yeah. It's not what you, you would expect, you know? And it would make sense for Mark Stormer to play this on tour because this is like tailor-made for someone like Mark. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a very Killers-esque bass, New Order type of bass part. Sherry Shaw is backing vocals on this one. There is credit for her on this one, so I guess it was Billy on the last one. The main riff was written during the Oceania tour, featuring Sherry Shaw on vocals. Billy Corgan says, a riff I'd come up with during the Oceania touring but its shred factor gets lost because it's too busy, stripping away what wasn't essential about what sells in it. I locked a synth bass through a fuzz and ended on one drilling figure, and that broke down the guitar part until there was just a ghost left. Vroom, SP magic. Billy also added in another post, demoed out what we'll call the slower version of Anais, sort of the today tempo. And though we all felt the song was strong, no one was high-fiving either. I still like the riff from last night, Howard said. By that he meant Anis, but the fast or original version. But previously I declared the song's rhythm moldy as in 1992 D-E-A-D. So my exposition here would be, hey, if we could find a new undergroove, I'm more than happy to play the riff. Because Lord knows the figures I write ain't changing. I say this to you, as I said to them, because the man I learned the most from in the riff department was Tony Iommi, and as he was shown repeatedly, is a good riff lasts forever. Though the groove may change with the times, hence a disco version of War Pigs, etc., or the ministry version of Supernaut. You hear him talk a lot about this on the podcast with how he works with Howard, where he'll look over at Howard and Howard will frown. And he's like, oh, why are you frowning? And it's like, oh, because it's it's territory you've been to before. The same, same with Jimmy, where they're trying not to repeat stuff where I know it has to drive certain fans crazy to hear that, to be like, no, it's OK if it sounds like melancholy. It's OK if it sounds like gish. Let's let's do it. But they're like, no, we're moving forward. And I, I respect that. I mean, as much as I would love to hear a, you know, uh, Siamese dream type of song, I'm not expecting it, nor do I think we're owed it. You know, it's like it's he's the artist. He gets to pick. If you retread those grounds, you know, there will be some sect of the pop, uh, of the of the fan of that. Like, ah, see. See, you knew you couldn't do it without yeah. without this or whatever. Yep. So, like, you could have been doing this, but you chose not to or whatever. And no, I wouldn't give them that satisfaction. Exactly. That's something I think that people don't understand is that I think it's better as an artist to take a chance on something new 
And if it hits, that's even better because it's a progression of your artistic merit. And if you decide to do a throwback and all of a sudden it's a huge song, then it kind of negates being like, well, I guess this validates that maybe I was better then, but that's not the truth. That's the that's the thing. It's just like, you know, again, I don't know the man personally. In the past, it has annoyed him that the newer stuff hasn't caught on to the fans or whatever, as as evidenced by by Zeitgeist. Well, you know, Zeitgeist aged well. Yeah. You know, now everybody's like, where's Zeitgeist? Where's Zeitgeist? Well, you told me back in 2007 that this is a terrible album, so now you can't find it anymore. I personally own three different copies of Zeitgeist. <laughs> so I'm good on this end, but like, you know, people should have been paying attention then. But that's all to say that the man that exists today is like, fuck it, I'm, I'm making the music I want to make. And you can choose to be along for the ride or not. Yeah. It's there when you decide to come around eventually. So, I mean, it's just like, that's, that's another reason why they don't retrack ground because they know that the music will age gracefully and yeah. you know, you'll, you'll get it in the future. That's one of the things that annoys me so much about, you know, some of the bands today that lean heavily in electronica and whatnot, because the pumpkins did that back in 1998, caught flack for it, but yeah. now it's popular. Yep. And you know, that no one will pay respect an homage to the back they did it first. I mean, it's just like, you know, my brother is a huge Linkin Park fan. Mm -hmm. I don't really listen to them or whatever, but like they are to him what the Smashing Pumpkins are to. Okay. But that electronica stuff that they have in their music or whatever, you know, it's just like, if the Pumpkins hadn't did it first, they're probably, I mean, I'm not saying that there wouldn't be an audience for it or whatever, but it's hard to imagine everybody you know getting their ears ready for that kind of but you know now you know it's just like everybody's memories of a door is like great and everything else so it was like yeah i didn't like it when it came out you know yeah anais is i mean anais itself is again like what we said it's a nod of what's to come you know it's it feels like it's nodding to what we're going to hear later in the pumpkins future and i know some people really don't like it but you know it it for me it lands in like that sweet spot of another shade of pumpkins that i like like i said you know reaching back into the past even talking about zeitgeist it has a necrolost feel out to it exactly yeah especially during the chorus i was gonna bring that up yeah 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 so you know it's just like you you know it's coming If there were a, a Pumpkins album full of never lost like songs, there would be that one song that wouldn't sound like never lost. Yep. That would tell you what to look for in the future. Yeah. So, but yeah, I I peeped that during the during the chorus. Yeah, there's something about the chorus too that I really love. There's some kind of like there's a frequency or a vibe that sometimes with Pumpkins music, I music I can't put my finger on, but it just like. There's a wavelength that just hits me right. Mm -hmm. And something about that chorus, like, just really, I love. And the Moog keyboards, too, are rad. 
And the bridge is kind of classic pumpkins, uh, but with that booming Tommy Lee kick drum, you know? Right. It's like, yeah, that's Tommy Lee for sure. And I just like the swing of it. And that cool, like, at the end, there's like a cool whoosh sound. I don't know if that's the cymbals or if they're doing something in post, but it, there's this kind of cool swoosh sound that happens at the end that I really dig. And I, I, I do want to thank you and Frank. I'm sorry, uh, you and Pat for teaching me the proper pronunciation of Moog. <laughs> right, yeah. I was calling it Moog. Everybody does. I, yeah, the whole de- documentary is about that. And even now I kept having to remind myself Moog, Moog. I even had like little uh, notes here in our notes. That's, but... <laughs> that's funny because I'm the person that pronounces JIT with a soft G. You know, right. while everybody pronounces it GIT. Well, the creator says it's JIT. So I'm going to go with what he says, even though yeah. everybody's like, I, I'm sure a bunch of your listeners are probably like, okay, time to hang up. This guy is not <laughs> like, what kind of psychopath is I here? Right. <laughs> pronounces it with a soft G. Yeah. So Moog, you know, to know that it's pronounced that way. It, it, honestly, uh, it sounds better as Moog instead of Moog. Yeah. Because Moog, Moog sounds like you can't take it seriously. But Moog, right. you know, sounds like, you know, cybernetic and mechanical and streamlined. But I saw my, my association to Moog was like early, like Gary Newman. When I was a, a teenager or a kid, it's like, oh, yeah, the thing that Gary Newman and the rentals use or Weezer used it on Pinkerton. You know, it was like one of those things where it was like very quirky. So that's why I always thought it was Moog. But yeah, Moog gives it more of a technical like this is a machine. And with regards to Gary Newman, that's a, a separate conversation altogether because I love me some Gary Newman. He's incredible and still incredible live too. Anyway, Anais, definitely one of the funkiest pumpkin tunes. Right. And uh, yeah, any final thoughts? It's uh, it's definitely a great tune. It's like I said, it's definitely got that uh, killer's vibe to it and everything else. It's definitely unlike any pumpkin song I have ever heard. Like yeah. No other song. You can't you can't pick a song out of the entire catalog and say, oh, this sounds like a niece. You can't. Yeah. So it's that, that's something I really respect the hell out of it. I know fan, some fans don't like the song, but it's like you have to give it up for the fact that it's 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 so unique for a pump. It's it's another. Again, it's just like another. Um, what do you call it when it's like a palette, a painting palette? I don't know what that's exactly called, but where you have all the different... I know the paints. word. Uh, it is escaping me right now. <laughs> I, do, I know. It always happens whenever I... Yeah. Yeah. But you know what I'm talking about. It really does feel like it's just another piece of paint on that that he can paint with. And it just keeps adding and adding and adding. And I feel like one of the things I really love about the pumpkins and with Billy's work is just that... There's so much that you can choose from. There's just so much. If I'm in one mood, I can go to this. If I'm in another mood, I can go to that. And also if I'm like, I don't know, I feel like uh, being silly and dancing my ass off. Let's go to Hooray. You know, <laughs> like it's just. There's like even the 45 minute, you know, of Pasticcio Medley. None mm-hmm. of those riffs on there. You can say, oh, well, you know, that sounds like a niece. Like it's probably the one song that you can't tie to the past. But it's yeah. probably something that you can tie to the future. Absolutely. So it's a great song. Well, speaking of riffs from the medley, we got one and all. I don't mind what 
one and all, in an interview with the Huffington Post, Billy said, I basically sang the whole song the first time I wrote it. It had written itself. In the studio recording, Corgan plays the rhythm guitar in the left ear while guitarist Jeff Schroeder plays in the right ear, a strategy that contrasts with the doubling effect that the Smashing Pumpkins were known for on previous albums. Rolling Stone described the track as having a deep wash of grungy guitar distortion. The hard-rocking one and all features the drumming of Motley Crue's Tommy Lee bashing his way through Billy Corgan and Jeff Schroeder's murky Myers of guitar and the singer's lyrics about feeling young. One and All was a song for monuments that inspired Corgan and Schroeder to invite Tommy Lee to do the drum parts. The song was favorably received. Stereo Gum said, The brand new guitar overloaded One and All is a considerable improvement on being beige, in my opinion. It's considerably heavier, too, which plays to Billy Corgan's strengths at this point in his career. Music Times stated that fans of the Pumpkins will not be disappointed as the song has a darkly metallic quality reminiscent of their 1995 opus melancholy and the infinite sadness spin.com stated one and all does boast a shoegaze set on overdrive sheen some fans believe the song may have evolved from the melancholy outtake the viper a clip of this version was included on pasticcio medley pasticcio i i always get this wrong from the airplane flies high box set Pardon me. I got I got taken to task by SPFC.org founder for saying we, we for saying this wrong. So let me make sure I get this. Pasticcio, not pastiche, but pasticcio medley. See, I'm not even saying it right now. Everybody reads it wrong. I think everybody reads it wrong. Whatever, like, Eric, you 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 fucker, you can say it. <laughs> I think a good fair amount of us still pronounces it pistachio because we're like yeah it's, it's a word you just see in passing you know it's yeah like something you put it it is like oh where did all those eyes come from i thought it was pastiche like pastiche because it it's a pastiche of all the different riffs but whatever do the rubber man do the rubber man do the rubber man, do the rubber man. What are your thoughts on one and all, Stephen? Well, so it's got a very strong opening in, again, us against the world type of uh, lyrics in there. The song, it's funny because you were, you were talking about the doubling effect. The vibe that I got from listening to the song was that it has a garage band vibe to it. Like a okay. song that, that's playing, that you play live in the garage or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's, it's got that old buzz his vocals that he did in the early days it it sounds like a call to arms as as it were yeah obviously the the drums are 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 uh, militant mm -hmm. i think it's a really good song i think it's i think it's really you know it's really good this was definitely one of my favorites when i first heard the album that i i remember being like okay i'm gonna put this in a playlist you know uh, even though i didn't give the other songs a chance there was a few on here that i was like this is I'm, I'm latching on to this one and one and all is just such a simple rock riff and one of those that like a song that gets me pumped up whenever I'm like listening to it and I'm like all right I remember for a while when I was like around this time in 2014 and 2015 I was uh, very close to one of my dream jobs and like while I was walking around New York trying to pump myself up for this thing this was on my mix you know to kind of get me like all right I'm, I'm positive I'm a 
I'm a I'm a confident motherfucker and don't get in my way like that kind of thing. And you and and see the chorus it will do that to you, especially when Jeff is playing those like little lead fills. Yeah, and the Viper was one of my favorite riffs from the medley, so I I can see I could definitely hear the the comparison. I can definitely see how that might have evolved from that riff for sure. I, I feel like, I mean, but for real, like, if you are not digging the new Pumpkins, just go to this one, you know? There's your, like, kind of rock, like you said, just kind of garage rock, like, simple. I I, I listen to it, I always kind of imagine Tommy Lee spinning his sticks, you know, while he's playing. It's like one of those rock songs. Yeah. Yeah, it, 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 I can definitely see that as well. More on the chorus, it's kind of, it, it, it almost has that tonal shift that you know Tiberius has because like you know the verses have you know the minor chords in the in in the in the music or whatever but like then it switches into major chords whereas Tiberius starts off with major chords and switches into minor chords mm -hmm. for the verse or whatever but like for one at all it gives that's what gives it that flavor like it's a it's a tasty piece of candy and i think like yeah. you said it is like a track for you know those that are just like oh well you know their old stuff is good well here here's your track go yeah go <laughs> listen to that this the rest of us have got you know the rest of the album that we need to listen to but like right. you know but it is a great song so i love it yeah i dig it just the riff is just again it's on my wavelength it just like does this gives me this kind of like cool fuzzy feeling and makes me confident, so I love it. One and all. It stands tall for one and all. One and all. All right, the next track up is Run To Me. Run To Me is the fourth single from Monuments. The accompanying music video directed by Linda Strawberry was premiered on Vulture.com on October 22nd, 2015. Billy says, we decided there was no need for an updated demo. We moved on quickly. He also said, Howard objected to Run To Me's 80s drums. So that was our first order of deconstruction. Much head scratching ensued. And knowing how this works, I laid down to watch the zeros and ones parade march by. To his credit, Howard was able to help us walk the tom-toming back to a place that sounded more like classic SP and less like, say, Big Country, a band that Jeff and I love, by the way. So in its current form, the song is simpler, more direct, and has more current currency. Yes, still, miles to go. This single was received fairly well uh, by critics, uh, maybe not so much the fans, but there was a video, as I said earlier, directed by Linda Strawberry, and the music video features magical orbs, eerie incantations, and mysterious hooded women. Strawberry elaborated on the video's narrative, the magician is symbolic of transition and inspiration, while the protagonist in the video is afraid of who she is about to become. She learns, accepts, and lets go of whatever was holding her back. 
it's funny that you mentioned that it had like an 80s vibe to it or whatever. Because I totally got an outright vibe to it. Totally got 80s aesthetic. Absolutely. Like a Ferrari driving through neon colors and whatnot. <laughs> uh, I love this song. I, I probably would go as far as to say that is probably my favorite song on the album. Interesting. Okay. So uh, I have a lot to say about this song. Yeah, go for it. I feel like this song was written for a certain section of the fan base. Not the old guard, obviously, because they're they're the ones that are like, no, I'm not interested or whatever. Fine, yeah. this is mine. Then, you know. Interesting. So again, we're reaching into the past to show the future, right? So it reminds me of Death From Above on Zeitgeist. Death From Above. Yes, Lord, I'm sinking. I want to just above. What was I thinking when I fell apart? One of my favorite songs on the album. You know, it's got that same energy. And uh, Pinwheels on Oceania. Yeah, I could see that. It's got that useful, carnival at nighttime energy. It transports you back to being a teenager, having fun with your friends. And, you know, of course, there's that cute girl that you, you like at school and everything else or whatever. It's like a very good end credits song. Right. Where the hero gets the courage to do what needs to be done slowly gathering his will and you know it's like and it, it all works out in the end and it's just the song that plays when you know the credits are rolling my favorite lyric in the entire song is i think it's clever as all hell he says where the frost spoils the leaf you know it's like oh that's that's gorgeous yeah ah shame on you young man that is just <laughs> perfect like it is vintage poetry to hear that part. You know, the drumming kind of sort of reminds me of, of Tonight Tonight too, with the, the militant. Right. There's a lot of militants in the song, in the songs overall with the drums and whatnot. Right. So it's like a recurring theme. Tommy Lee is probably the only person in existence that could probably play the opening to chair Brock flawlessly. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like the, uh, the only other person besides Jimmy Chamber. Yeah. I love it. It is, it is a wonderful song. I could listen to it on repeat over and over. And I know it sounds strange for a lot of people to hear. I'm, you know, a person that loved death from above pinwheels, one diamond, one heart, right. The future embrace. <laughs> it's good pondering music if that makes any sense to just sit and think yeah no i mean it makes sense i i still haven't connected with the song quite as much this was definitely one i skip a lot when it came out just mm -hmm. because i wasn't quite ready for this sound it's definitely grown on me and i i want to say like and i know some people don't like the video but man you get witches in there you know, uh, I believe that Sierra Swan is one of the witches, and I'm going to love right. it, you know? But I, it, it feels like also when I listened to the video, it felt like there was more distinct chimes that were coming through. 
in the song that I didn't quite hear, but it definitely does have that nod to like Big Country, who I'm a big fan of because of those drums. But it also really, really reminds me of Pat Benatar's "We Belong." Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't, I don't hate any pumpkin song. Like, I mean, we've been accused of being uh, sycophantic so many times about, you know, how we cover these songs. But I mean, like, honestly, like for me, it just hasn't connected. I think at the time I didn't like it because it felt like kind of Coldplay-ish, Coca-Cola, generic advertising kind of pop rock. And then on the surface of it, it felt like that to me. And then when I had listened to this album about like, you know, 10 times through or whatever preparing for this episode i started to notice these little elements that i admire in the new music that i could admire in this song it still hasn't connected for me but i definitely have a lot more uh respect and i can see where it's coming from because i i really like the distorted guitar hits too at one point uh there's they're really cool but like yeah i think this is one that's going to be in my list of pumpkin songs since doing this podcast it's going to be like one day it's just going to be like, boop, there it is. That usually happens when it's like a moment in your life of great change. Mm -hmm. Like, for instance, we were talking about how Anise has a killer's vibe to it. You know, some of the killers is music affected me at a certain you know point in my life. So not to derail from the topic in general, but I think I love it so much because I think I have a soft spot for their more obscure stuff i'll just play judas o over and over and over right you know know all the lyrics to winter log and sparrow you know mm -hmm. and everything else or whatever and this is this is the type of song you put on judas o exactly yeah it's right there it's just a really really pretty song it's always a testament to how well-rounded the band is in general. Exactly. They can make stuff like Zero and Bullet with Butterfly Wings and Chair Brock and everything else, but they also do stuff like this, and, you know, they're still the Smashing Pumpkins. Their songs are like a family tree. Exactly. Many, many branches, you know, because yeah. you can't nail down their sound. So, but yeah, no, this is, I, I love it. It is a, it is a wonderful song. It's my favorite one on the album. I appreciate the different flavor it gives the album too, so it doesn't kind of become a little bit samey. It gives it enough dynamic uh, sonic landscape for the album, so it's not just kind of straight ahead rock or this or that. It's just like it gives it enough of that, you know, like usual Pumpkins albums, uh, enough of a sonic palette that you can like really enjoy. All right. Up next is Drum and Fife. Away, away found you me. No rules or in you me. Waste all your time on another kind of boy. Whoa. A Come on along on an Easter 
Drum and Fife, the third single from Monuments, the track was premiered through NME on November 21st, 2014. In an interview with NME, Billy Corgan said Drum and Fife was originally a folk song. We really had a problem getting it off its almost dour Irish balladeer aspect. And I must give a lot of credit to Tommy Lee because he's the one who turned the corner. Without saying, he was reacting in a way that told me he thought it was a bit boring. Tommy loves energy. Tommy wants to feel excitement, so he's playing the song like he's like, I know this is a good song, but it's just not working. And he said to me, do you mind if I tinker around with it? And so he got on the computer and used his experience in dance music and kind of turned the corner and found some loops and some beats. And suddenly I was like, wow, it's almost like mid eighties new wave or something. And it reminded me a little bit of early U2 or big country. The open strut made the Irish ballad part of the song come alive and have more of an expansive quality, and from there on, it got a lot easier. The cover art shows a young Billy Corgan playing a drum, aged 13 months based on the date of the photo. However, the UK single apparently states, and yes, that is Billy Corgan on the cover, age 5. The music video was directed by Jimmy Alhander and Robin Antiga. I'm not sure if I'm saying those right, apologize and produced by Good Company. It takes place in a rocky desert with a group of boys carelessly playing a drum before being interrupted by exploding mines. This serves as a metaphor to post-traumatic stress disorder and the after effects of war. I asked, albeit in an allegorical way, for the video to represent what our returning soldiers are going through with PTSD. And I feel that the directors captured that with poignancy. Corgan goes on to say, I couldn't be more proud of the message we're sending that we care what happens to those that are out there hurting. Uh, I I have an issue. Like it's hard for me to watch just watch these kids like get blown up and stuff, and then the ending. It's a very very moving video. I had seen the video uh, once or twice a few years ago. I was like, wow, this is not wholly unexpected, but it's funny that they would do that because uh, one of the things that I wrote in my notes about the song is that the very beginning reminds me of like, you know how those clean acoustic openings that are on some of Metallica's song? Yeah. It reminds me of that. Like songs like, like Fight Fire with Fire or Fade yeah. to Black or, or To Live Is To Die or One. Yeah. Especially One. One, if you've seen the music video to One. Oh yeah. There's some parallels there, yeah. Exactly. So the Pumpkins videos have always had an artistic slant anyway. I mean, like there isn't a person alive that will sit down and watch the entirety to tonight tonight and come away from it going like, what the hell happened? Right? Yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, that's what you can expect from Pumpkins videos. And like, you know, it's just like while it was expected, you know, it was like it, it was definitely a dark turn, you know, yeah. in that video. You know, it's just like, wow, you know, that's pretty wild. So. With regards to the lyrics and whatnot, this sounds like a person who is denying his demons the satisfaction of owning it. Yeah. In my opinion. It's kind of evident in the chorus when he sings, Incite, drum, and fight with steam. Racing scene to scene to break this beast and need to remedy what's bleeding. 
it sounds like he's identified a problem and he's resolved to fix it. Yeah. The funny thing about, you know, the song and most of the album is like, well, we talked about this album being guitars, guitars, guitars. Well, the lyrics are also straight to the point, too. Yeah. It's the most straight to the point batch of songs from the pumpkin set you're ever going to get. It's easier for me to, to, to know what he's feeling when I hear these songs. Yeah. If that makes any sense. No, that's what, because it's coming off of Oceania, which we talked about, like, had those personal lyrics again. Mm -hmm. And then after that, it starts to get a little bit more into the Billy with Seer and Autumn and even some of Shiny. Uh-huh. Where, even some of Shiny, where it feels like, oh, I, it's a lot of symbolism. It's a lot of symbolism. It's a lot of his flowery, poetic language. But, like, with the Oceania and this one, it's like you're you're getting it at face value. Mm -hmm. But I really like this song. I mean, I, I think this was another one that grew on me. That little, that, that like clean guitar sound at the beginning almost reminds me of Cherry. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With this song, Drum and Fife, I love how it kicks in with the drums. Like, it's just kind of cool, like, with the low-key guitar, and then it's a boom. It's really evocative of, like, Billy's journey to getting into, like... He was kind of getting to, like, that Civil War era, kind of, for Cotillions. Um, even though Ojilala is next, he's kind of, like, you could tell it's, like, in his mind about battle, going to war. We talked about this already. Right. And I like that, I mean, the chorus swings in a fun and breezy way that I think uh, works better than being beige, but that's just me. And I just like the feel overall. I feel, it feels like a natural progression for post-Reformation pumpkins. Right. And... The, gar the guitar leads sound really great. I, I, I also really like the Don't You Ever bridge. And also we get June reference in here, a fetching June. Yeah, it's been a minute since we, we've heard about June, but she's still there. You know, the refraining at the end, I will bang this drum to my dying day. It's defiant. It's someone, yeah. you know, who's 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 rising up. That's what the entire album feels like. It's it's someone rising up. Yeah. They're going down with the ship and then all of a sudden a lifeboat comes along. Yeah. I will bang this drum. All right, the next song up is our title track or sort of title track, Monuments. Billy says, Newman-esque darkness, Howard Willing's pet project of love. Got no here, but not poorly so. 
just reestablished that the song as is is fine and the debate ensued if it was good enough. Same debate every song. He goes on to say, Senor Howard got his wish as we began with monuments. Fitting the new arrangement, I was quickly able to build up an arrangement that accentuated rather than fought the noir. Drums, keys, bass, and a sublimated guitar that aped said bass. Jeff was next copying the signature melody line. Howard frowned. What the fuck do you want from me? Jeff exploded, smashing to bits his guitar. Actually, that didn't happen, except the part about Howard frowning, which effectively killed Jeff's moment. I interjected, look, the song is essentially unchanged from the original demo, so let's accept that it can only move forward by shades. And I said this as I swept up the charts of Jeff's aborted try. Billy also says, I accused Howard of falling in love with the original demo sound, a condition called demoitis. A 30-minute discussion followed where said producer reiterated his belief the song could be a single. And though I don't disagree, the legacy of SP is to make adaptations of different styles that in their hybridity create singularity. Where I failed at that, often, sit as odd blights. And where I've succeeded at that, enough, tower epics. Sounds grand, eh? Steven, what are your thoughts on Monuments? This is the song that, you know, back in the day would have been like 10 minutes long. Oh, yeah. I feel like 10 minutes long with a bunch of proggy, you know, shifts and tones or whatever, guitar solos. I was shocked when it ended as soon as it did. Okay, we're, we're reaching into the past again, although we don't have to reach too far. A uh, very Glissandra and Speed Kills. It's a very uh, a Mistress of the Night type vibe. Yeah. It sounds like something that could have easily been written for Stevie Nicks. Yeah, it's like a stand back kind of like the Prince. Yeah. Yeah. It's very sensual. If that's the if if, if that's the right word for it, it doesn't re- really sound like anything else on the album. Uh, even Anise, it's got a different vibe from Tiberius and being beige and everything else or whatever. It sounds it sounds like you know something taking place at night. The second verse where he sings the best verse in the evening of your soul and whispers carry as they're sown, indulged by every feeling that I've known. That's the part that reminds me of Stevie Nicks. It is a very Stevie type of lyric. I love this song. This is one of my, again, this is like on my pump up mix, you know, that I just like, it's just such a great straightforward rock song. I love the electronic keyboard elements that are mixed in with it. It just feels like, again, what fans want when they address here in autumn content, but but they didn't even like this. So I, I don't know, but I love the detours it takes like the lover, you're a strange, and again, like I said, uh, it's a short and sweet rocker, and Tommy Lee gets to be Tommy Lee once again. Yeah, the, the "Lover, Your Strange" chorus that is vintage Popkins. Yeah, the way that he sings still sings it. Love, you're strange. That is a, a callback. That is like you, you can reach back into the older catalog and hear similar things. Yeah. So for the fans that, you know, that didn't like it, it's right there in front of you and you don't want it. Yeah. (laughs) So like I've mentioned before, it takes a moment for everybody to catch up and, you know, everybody will eventually catch up to it Yeah. and discover the track, rediscover the track the same way that, that we've discovered it. 
Yeah. I, it's a beautiful song. It's just got a good groove to it, and it's just got a, like, I just really love the groove. It's just right in the pocket of what I love from a, just a s- straightforward, this feels like it could have been, like, maybe Zeitgeist era, you know, uh, Monuments does, but I I dig it. I really love this song. I think it's cool. I think it's a solid rocker, and it pumps me up. Any uh, final thoughts on Monuments? Uh, it should have been longer. I agree. That is my only tip. Yeah, can you imagine like a kind of like Geek USA type of cool down or something or a kind of detour of a uh, uh, Through the Eyes of Ruby or something like that? Because it's it's kind of got the the potential for it. Mm-hmm. And just to kind of go into like a long epic, you know, jam at the end. Yeah, no, it's just like chocolate pudding. They only put just enough in the cup to get you hooked. But like, <laughs> by the time you're... By the time you're hooked, it's gone. So, you know, it's, that's that's how the song feels. All right, the next track up is Dorian. Yeah. Dorian, Billy said about this song, a heart-rending new waver. And I have to agree with that. Stephen, what are your thoughts on Dorian? Uh, so it is indeed a new waver. It's, it's looking into the future. It's Seer. Yep, exactly. It's, it's Seer. Yeah, it's like, it's Ramona. Yep. You know, it's there. You 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 weren't paying attention if you if you know you didn't expect it, but it's it's right there. It seems to be in the vein of the tale of Dusty and Pistol Pete. It's got the the keyboard sense in it that kind of sort of just take you to another world. It's yeah. almost like it's almost space rock got sci-fi elements to it exactly like like you're on a different planet a fantastic planet <laughs> yeah <laughs> and like there are aliens everywhere and like you know you just you kind of sort of that's where you're transported to i'm sure the the lyrical content is wholly different i have it in front of me it sounds like a person on the run where he asked dorian dorian what have you done <laughs> yeah which gets into the autumn theme. Yeah, so like, so it's not too far off. It sounds like it's a it's a, a song about a fugitive. It, it gives me like dystopian '80s pop, you know, synth rock, there, which I I'm absolutely a sucker for. You know that '80s heartbreak feel to it, and I just love it. I really Pat was the one who turned me on to this song because I I wasn't as familiar with it for some reason. I guess I kind of skipped it whenever it came out, but Pat was like. This is one of my favorite pumpkin songs, and I was like, "Oh, okay." So then, uh, I'll you know, I gave it a listen. I was like, "Wow, this is really great." Especially after hearing Sear and most of Autumn, I, I really dig it, and I think it does a good job of 
mixing the electronic elements and that clean guitar and live drums too it like just kind of marries it pretty well and we get a hint of like a disco drum loop also there's a synth bridge that happens in there there's like a synth bridge break and that space would have been for a solo but he just keeps it simple just to vary it slightly And I don't know what it was about this. I would guess Oceana had some like shredders, you know, like they had some solos and stuff happening. But right. this era, like he just kind of like with Zeitgeist in this, I feel like when it's more straight ahead rock, he just kind of lets go of the solos. He stays out of his own way. Yeah. And because that's that's what separates the album from other albums. That's how you don't repeat yourself. It would be real easy to fall into those you know old traps or whatever he probably thought a solo could go here just like yeah. you did but he restrained himself and now if you put a solo in there it's just going to sound strange because yeah. now everybody everybody you know has heard the song you know, it's like and they'll be like there's no need for a solo yeah because it just like that that minimal aspect to it that kind of does harken back to an 80s type of dystopian sad rock you know pop rock song or uh, George Orwave, as the guys on Beyond Yacht Rock podcast coined for that type of music. Well, so tell me if you agree or not or whatever, but like, you know, with the song, you're looking at early pumpkins. Like pre-gish. Well, yeah, when they're just, you know, using a drum machine. Guitars and a drum machine before I am one and whatnot, you know. Yeah. So you're listening to, to proto-pumpkins, you know, before right. we knew them as, you know, as we know them today. The Echo and the Bunnymen obsessed, Depeche Mode, The Cure, yeah. Yep, Billy standing up on stage playing with a Toronado instead of a Stratocaster. Final thoughts on Dorian? It's a great song. Weirdly enough, it sounds like a song that should have been like track number four instead of like yeah. track number eight you know yet somehow i like its position right after monuments especially with how it ends because it's got that really it really does remind me of an 80s heartache song with how it ends and leaves you on that feeling All right, and our final track we're going to discuss is Antihero.
Antihero. Billy says, back into the rock pile, starting with Antihero to see if we might resurrect its fading chances. After much dilly-dally, I arrived at the stunning conclusion that the chorus needed to be better. And lo, the chorus was improved with melodic tricks of invention, i.e. repeat the best hook ad nauseum. Steven, what are your thoughts on Antihero? What? I'm upset because it's a great song. It's got like a bunch of vintage corkinism in the in the song uh, with the lyrics. Like he literally says the word broom. <laughs> I've yeah. never heard that before. You know, I've never. Yeah, you know, it's just like it's it's got that I'm a badass and I know it, you know, type of vibe. Yeah. What throws me off is that. Well, first I'll I'll, I'll go ahead and state uh, what uh, what it feels like. It reminds me of their cover of "You're All I've Got." To. But here's the thing that throws me off about the song. This is the last song on the album. Yeah. It doesn't feel like the album should... It feels disjointed. It feels like the album shouldn't have ended on this song. Yeah, I agree with that. Maybe the so- maybe the album should have ended on Drum and Fife. Yeah, I agree. Antihero should have taken the track spot where Drum and Fife is and Drum and Fife. Drum and Fife should have ended the album. That's what makes it so, you know, jarring that when the album is over, because it feels so short and everything else, and it ends on that song, I'm expecting that album closer to be more akin of, you know, Luna. Yeah. Farewell and good night. Is Blake Page the closer or the 17? Or is 17? I mean, you, there's debate about that. I, I personally think it's Blank Page, but in that 17 is just kind of the, the post script. So on Oceania, Wildflower is the uh, closer. I love that it. That is a perfect closer. I'm I'm reluctant to say a, a terrible thing or perceived terrible thing, uh, but like this kind of sort of breaks the streak of album closing properly or whatever. Yeah. At least in my opinion, I'm I'm not in the studio, obviously, <laughs> you know, making the, the decisions or whatever. It's just it threw me off. To, for this album to, you know, end on Antihero. It's a great song. Yeah. It's got all of the, the old school elements to it and everything else. Uh, you know, it's just like, never been kissed by a girl like you. All I want to want to do, love me baby, love me true. Everything I want, I've had to have. And with madness, it's love that's sad. Try to little baby, oh, can't you see? Ooh, it's me. With a girl like you, all I want to do, love me baby, oh, can't you please? Oh, with a girl like you, broom, with a girl like you. You know, it's just like that tied to the rip. It's like putting together a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It is. <laughs> yeah. It is perfect. Yeah. It fits, but it's track number five. You know, it's. Yeah, that's no, how I, I feel about the dog or whatever. Yeah, because when you're listening to the album and all of a sudden you get to the end of Anti Hero, especially the way it ends, it feels like a little bit like, oh, that's it? Yeah. Like I was expecting, it kind of gives you like a little bit of like you're reaching the edge, and then you're just like, oh wait, this is the end of the ride. 
Yeah, it's it's like an episode of The Last of Us at Cliffhanger. Because they, <laughs> right. you know, well, if you haven't played the game, you you don't know what's happened. So it's a it's a yeah. cliffhanger, you know. But like that's what the song feels like. The ending of the song feels like a cliffhanger, and that's what makes me upset that we didn't get a day for a night because yeah. that's supposed to be the next the next part. I'm like, well, where is it? <laughs> I mean, it sets the table for shiny because especially this song feels very shiny esque to me, but it um uh, kind of gets on this kick that Billy has from this point on on with the palm muting. Because we get it with Solara, which was going to be on Day for Night. So then it's like he's got the... And Beguiled has that kind of like palm mute thing. So it kind of feels similar to Solara for me with like that beginning part. And it kind of... There are elements of it that kind of sound like drum and fife a bit, but just kind of different tempo. But I dig it because it feels like a... like. 80s rocker i mean it's like the chorus is total motley crew-esque rock with a hint of cars because of that synth and you know tommy lee gets to do his kick measures again you know it's just it's it's not my favorite track but it's very enjoyable and i this is another song where i'm surprised like this is open for rip roaring solos like that lead at the end kind of gets buried in the mix but this is like the perfect song that you could show off your metal chops and I'm just kind of surprised that it just didn't happen here. But I, I dig the song. It's fun. It's an 80s, you know, uh, hair metal kind of rocker throwback, and I, I love it. Well, I'm surprised it's not a staple at shows. Right. Yeah, see, I would if I heard Monuments or One and All or Antihero at a show, I would be thrilled. Well, and, like, you know, if I'm a new fan and I heard Antihero at a show, I'd go running straight home to find that song yeah the songs definitely have a different feel live yes absolutely the show that they played in 2019 uh with uh, the high-flying birds with noel gallagher they played super christ Well, I'm screaming my 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 head off. Yeah. Oh my god, it's Super Christ or whatever. But like the new <laughs> kids that are there, you know, it's just like they're gonna have to like go and search for what you know that song is. Or right. Whatever. And it's especially hard without you know lyrics, basically since mostly an instrumental. But that's all that's to say is that I'm surprised that Antihero isn't on the set list on numerous shows because I could see I could see Jimmy having a great time. Yeah. Any final thoughts about Antihero? It's a great song. I don't believe that the album should have closed on it. Yeah. That's just me, and I love it, and it's great. What are your overall thoughts on Monuments to an Elegy? It is a great album. I found myself these past couple of weeks listening to it over and over and over. I sit at my desk and I draw and I have it play in, play in the background. It's easy to fall into a black hole after listening to it. Well, if you're listening to this, you got to go back in time and listen to the other stuff too yeah. and everything else or whatever. It's very easy to get trapped down a pumpkin's black hole with this album. 
because it puts you in that kind of mood. Uh, like I said, I think it's got that kind of sort of uh, like solid vibe. I think I can honestly say that uh, I don't feel that there's a bad song on here. Yeah, there are songs I like more than others, but I, I didn't, I didn't skip any of the songs or whatever. I didn't feel like any of the songs were were skippable. Yeah, it is a it is a strong Pumpkins album that is worthy of many many listens. I, f- I agree with that. Like I think this with time and separation too, like most of the pumpkin stuff. But I, I I do think this is like I think you had a good description of like it's like a good piece of candy. You know what I mean? Like this is like a good piece of candy in the the pumpkins discography because while it may not be stronger than some of the other albums, it's really enjoyable. And I think there's some really solid stuff on here. And it's so short, you could just throw this on on a car ride, and you're like. You're good. Like you said, uh, it's not as strong as, you know, the other albums or whatever. I feel comfortable saying, you know, it's just like, I love the album. I don't love it more than The Door, which is, of course, my favorite Smashing Pumpkins album. But I'm not going to turn it down either when, you know, it's on, you know. So, like, it's like, it. I would implore people who haven't listened to the album to listen to the album. Yeah. It's a uh, it's a good slice of pizza. Yeah, it's a good slice of pizza. <laughs> that's a, that's our overall review of Monuments to Analogy. It's a good slice of pizza. It's a good slice of pizza. Yeah. So the album artwork, we have the album cover, which is an image of a bronze lion statue outside of the Art Institute of Chicago that Billy Mm. took a picture of. And then inside, we got a lot of other pictures that Billy took. And then his handwriting, which when I was looking through the the liner notes, I was like, I can't read some of this. But it's, you know, it's Billy's writing. It's right there, which I think is pretty cool. I like the cover of it. I think it's a cool. It also looks good on vinyl, too, which I have a vinyl copy of this as well. I don't know. What are your thoughts on the the artwork? At first, I thought it was an explosion. I I thought that too. Yeah, yeah. No, I uh, haven't been to Chicago often. Uh, I have a brother in law that lives there. I mean, is this is this still there? Is that statue still still there? Because that's definitely I something I would hit up. You know, when I when I go over there, it's definitely a great album cover. I thought it was an explosion at first with birds flying around it. Yeah, that's what I thought it was or whatever. But now that I know. <laughs> yeah, what it is. The uh, note about Billy's handwriting. That's also the other thing. That's like the carryover from the years. You know, it's mm-hmm. like it's a Siamese stream handwriting. Yep. It, you you can bet I strained my eyes reading the lyrics. The <laughs> oh, Siamese yeah. stream. Oh my god! Booklet. Try to you know it's like what's she saying here? You know, but like I I love you, Billy. This is like but this is like a step up from like doctor. <laughs> handwriting yeah and i'm not one to knock it because mine is really bad too so yeah no my wife is the first person to tell me that my my handwriting is absolute trash i mean at least his is like aesthetically pleasing bad writing you know what i mean like there's like a there's a there's a little bit of art to it and mine is just straight up garbage that is the correct term it's art it's art because my mine is just chicken scratch yep this (laughs) yes like you know if you look on the the letter i you know, like he puts a little, you know, star above it every single time. He he puts that star underneath the exclamation point yeah. on an east. So it's like it is art you are looking at. You know, I love it. My handwriting cannot, you know, make that claim. It's it's pretty, you know, 
terrible. I think one day I want to, this will probably be too weird. He probably wouldn't do this. But if I did meet him, be like, can you please write down one of my favorite lyrics on my arm and I'm going to get it tattooed. <laughs> so yeah, no, can... I mean, like, that sounds like a, a, a great idea. I mean, like, you know, <laughs> I, mean, I don't know if he would, I don't know if he, if he would ever do it either. Yeah. You know, you definitely find the tattoo person that's the best at doing it, though. I think I'm going to get my first uh, pumpkins tattoo this year. Oh, yeah. I think I'm going to do it. I think I'm going to finally bite the bullet with butterfly wings so um, if you had to get a pumpkin statue what would what would it be so i thought about this a lot and it's probably going to be the the kid who's on on the here is no why on the booklet okay you know for the lyric you know the little right right because pat has the farewell and good night uh moon on his wrist Mm. And I wanted to get either that or the muzzle dog. I'm thinking of songs that are like important to me or through the eyes of Ruby. Like I, I, those melancholy things are kind of perfect for tattoos, but my other, my other like kind of go to of like, I can't get that detailed or it's too expensive. is just to do the simple SP heart. You know, I thought about, you know, a tattoo from time to time, but like, I can't do pain all too much, but like if I was going to get an SP tattoo, it would be the lyrics from Eye of the Morning. I sit yeah. in the dark light to wait for Ghost Night to bring the past to life, to make a toast to life because I have survived. And I would get it written the same way that it's in the booklet. Yeah. Or whatever, you know. That's awesome. I'd have to steal myself up for that first, so. Yeah, my wife has a, a number of tattoos and I'm just always like, man, I just never, but also a, a friend of mine who passed recently, she always told me because she had like, just head to toe tattoos she always told me she's like if you want to get a tattoo wait three months like have the idea and if you're still like the idea in three months then get it mm -hmm. and i've always lived by that so then i don't have any tattoos otherwise i'd be covered with ghostbusters and what whatever you know <laughs> stupid shit but this one i feel pretty confident about where i'm like i want to get something i don't know i just think it's time but uh, anyway, Stephen, thank you so much for joining me to talk about monuments. It's a pleasure to have you back on the Pumpcast. So where can people find you online and what can they check out? Well, so uh, typically, uh, you know, uh, I'm all over Instagram. I have like three to four different profiles. Uh, there's uh, my guitar Instagram, uh, which is have underscore strat underscore will underscore travel. Uh, there's uh, me and my bandmates page, uh, the heirs of the supernova, all of them underscore. Uh, we have a new album that we dropped last November called Incandescence that we're really, really proud of, uh, that you guys will love because it's really pretty. Uh, at least we think so. Listen to Edith. Edith is a, is a, uh, is our shoegaze song. We, we, uh, we're, we've had that one for a minute. course i have my personal instagram page stephen patrick zapata kelly all of them have underscores underneath it it's where i put all of my political leaning stuff on there so 
And of course, uh, the Instagram dedicated to my comic book, Shane Long Shadow is Hungry, which uh, you can expect new episodes on pretty soon. But yeah, that's where everybody can find me. Awesome. And... Oh, I, I'm sorry. Uh, Go ahead. I, I, I wanted to take the moment to thank you and Pat for uh, lending your vocals to uh, Absolutely. one of the songs on Incandescence. Yeah. Again and always. Yeah. Uh, awesome. They, you guys did a great job and me and Zach love it. And Our pleasure. Out. Yeah, the album sounds great. I mean, uh, there's something about what you do with those guitar tones uh, when you record your albums that are just like, it's got that, I'm a big fan of hum and failure, and it's got that kind of richness to it that I really, it's really great. So check it out if you can. Yeah, we definitely leaned into that. So yeah, yeah. you guys will love it. All right, well, Stephen, thank you so much for joining me. And everyone, make sure that you, if you can't sign up for our Patreon, patreon.com slash smashingpumpcast, if you can't sign up for our Patreon, we get it. Money's tight. There is exclusive content there. But otherwise, leave a review, a positive review, please, on iTunes or, I guess, Apple Podcasts, and a star review on Spotify. That would help us out greatly. Please share the show with other pumpkin heads. Uh, repost if you can on socials. Anything helps us out. We really appreciate you listening to the show. Next episode, I will have Dr. Thomas Whitfield on to talk about OG Lala. So until next time, we wish you all a fond farewell and good, good night. Dr. McCoy.